0: Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host, and today we are going to hear part two with Kim Hudson, who is the owner and founder of Equalize. The podcast we originally scheduled to do just one turned into two. So you're getting ready to hear part two. I learned a ton. I think you will too. So get ready. Here it comes, part two. So, Kim, you've been doing this close to 20 years now. How has technology changed? (laughs)
1: Technology has opened up so many doors and it's changing so fast. Even just in the last three years Mm -hmm. with the development of the iPad and um, other iOS devices, it's just making accessible technology affordable and portable. So, when I first started 18 years ago, a low vision child would be using a large print book, a huge book. And most of the time, they didn't want to use one of these big of books. And that's not appropriate for for a lot of
0: students. They probably had to carry them around with a wheelbarrow or something. I mean, <laughs> God bless them. Those big old books. Right. But so
1: I don't know what. Yeah. And forget about it. A middle school student would never oh, no. be caught dead with one with one of those books. Yeah. So kids didn't really have ready access to their educational materials. And the alternative was using a magnifier, you know, where they could see just a little bit at a time magnified or a large CCTV, a closed circuit television, and these things were huge. They were on carts, and they would have to push them through the hallways, and nobody wants that. That's totally uncool. Right. If you're a middle schooler, not cool. Mm -mm. And really, something that's so important to me is the psychosocial implications of a child's vision loss and how it affects them socially. And I don't want my kids to be uncool. Mm -mm. You know, they already have enough challenges, so we try to keep them cool. (laughs) So, (laughs) recently, CCTVs have become so much more portable. So, this is a magnification machine, and they have ones that just fold up like a laptop and are battery-operated. Operated and can be moved from class to class. So that's been great. And our kids who really need it, they're willing to use those. You know, they're 7 to 12 pounds, depending on the one you get. And it's it's still heavy to lug around, but it gives them access to the educational content. So most students are willing to use that. And we'll have
0: pictures just so people know they there. If you're not familiar with what a
1: CCTV
0: is, we can have links to explain what that is. And also the handheld ones are the smaller ones, mm-hmm. like what you're talking about.
1: Too. Right. So additionally the iPads have become a great tool. They yes. have built-in technology of voiceover which reads what's on the screen and they have built-in zoom technology and so it's you know an all-in-one very compact device. We usually pair them with a Bluetooth keyboard and they're accessible for even kids who have multiple impairments or may not have the fine motor skills needed to you know, use the typical multitasking gestures, you can make adjustments in the settings so that it's accessible for somebody who may touch slower or touch too light or, or something. So there, it's so adjustable. And what used to cost thousands of dollars in software to put onto equipment is available for $500.
0: I had no idea before you showed me that the iPad could do all that it could do. And I've asked other therapists about it, and most people don't know Mm -hmm. what all is built into the software of the iPad. It's something
1: that TVIs are still learning. You know, really just in the last couple of years, there's been, you know, more... Trainings available for TVIs to learn how to use the iPad, mm-hmm. but it's definitely my tool of choice for most students really? because of its portability and because it's going to be the tool that the child has access to at home. Yeah. So if the child is using something at school, you know, on a laptop, maybe they're using Zoom Text or JAWS or another screen reader, and then they go home, and that's not what they have access to. Then there's not that continuity. Right. So I prefer students to have continuity in assistive technology as much as possible, but Whatever the student is doing on an iPad, they can do on an iPhone too. And everything is just so instantly accessible. You can even turn an iPad screen or an iPhone screen into Braille input. You can do the six finger Braille input on the screen. Hmm. So it's really, it's just the greatest tool. I didn't know you could do that. Really? Yes. And then, as you know, we can attach other Bluetooth devices Mm -hmm. to an iPad, such as a refreshable Braille display, Mm -hmm. which um, allows a student to input on a device about the size of a wallet. Small. Yeah, it's it's really small and compact, but the child can input the Braille there and read um, these pins that refresh and pop up to make the Braille cells. Uh, The child can read tactually. Um, the Braille that they've produced or read what's on the screen. And that's a great tool, especially when a child is in an academic class and wants to input in Braille, and then the teacher can know what they've Mm -hmm. written because the teacher can see what that student has produced right there on the iPad screen. So it's a great way to integrate technology into the regular education classroom.
0: You sent me a picture one time of of my daughter um, using the refreshable braille machine, her iPad and the CCTV are together. (laughs) We can post that with a show notes. I'm fine with that. And because you can see what it does, I mean, she's inputting with that refreshable braille machine and then she's reading the words off the CCTV. But then you can see the sentences she's writing on the iPad. So the teacher then knows what she's writing, if she's getting her work right or wrong. It's a good example of, yes. of what's happening. That was a great combination
1: of her it using was.
0: all of her tools at one time. I cannot tell you how many people have shown that picture to. Like, <laughs> a lot. So, the iPad, to me, this is, I guess, from a parent's perspective, because I'm not of TVI. I'm a mom. It's made things very accessible and real and easy,
1: you know, where right. they were not that way before at all. Right. It's not like a mysterious program that you... Have no idea about. Right. It's something that everybody uses and has access to. Do you find, though, with, with the iPad, have you used the biggest one they have out now, the large, The, large the Pro. One? Yes, that huge one. I have not personally, but I do have um, a friend of mine who, she's a former client, and now she's all grown up uh. and an adult, and um, she had a progressive vision condition and has lost almost all of her vision, mm-hmm. and that's what she uses, and she's collegiate. In fact, she followed in my footsteps, went to Florida State, became nice. a TVI. Nice. And it's getting ready to come work for me. <laughs> that is awesome. What a great <laughs> it's success a beautiful story. circle.
0: <laughs> that is a beautiful circle. So I was just wondering because I I know sometimes when I have worked with children who have visual impairments, historically it's always, okay, let's bigger. Bigger is better. Bigger is better. But bigger right. doesn't always mean better, no. does it?
1: No, it doesn't. That's often the thought that bigger is better. Mm-hmm. But it really is dependent upon the child's visual condition and what their visual field is. Some children have visual field deficits where maybe they have tunnel vision or Um, you know, don't have peripheral vision. And so you don't want to make something really big because then it's outside of their visual field. And then they have to do a lot of head turning to scan the written material. So a lot of times the regular iPad screen is a good size for most students because they're going to be zooming in where they need it or listening with voiceover. But for some students, you know, I, I really make technology recommendations very individually based on the particular student. I have a student now who I've been assessing and he's good on a laptop. Laptops are not as responsive as the iPads are. And so I've considered the iPad Pro for him because it has all the iPad features, but you know, it's got that bigger screen and then he can have a full size Bluetooth keyboard Still, That's still under consideration because we're just making individual decisions for sure, him. Sure,
0: you have to adapt. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go into high school campuses and college campuses now, you'll see where a lot of kids are carrying around laptops and iPads. So a child who's visually impaired is carrying around an iPad is not different than anybody else. It's right. very
1: normal. Right. And you know, even for one child, they may use multiple tools. They right. may use a laptop for one task and an iPad for another task because just like for a sighted person, you're going to make a decision based on the task that you are going to wor- be working on. You know, sometimes you can just send off a text or an email from your phone and sometimes you really need to write something more lengthy and have access to a bigger, stronger program. But somebody who's college bound or workforce bound really should have instruction on a laptop and or or a computer so that they can learn, you know, key commands of using speech programs or other software programs so that they can be work ready because most of the time in workplaces they're not using iPads to perform the functions of the job. So, Right. you know we consider what where a student is going what their steps are in in determining the technology but different tools for different tasks is it the ios what's got the adaptability mm-hmm. yes. so how
0: about like the um droid devices
1: they also have accessibility features they have TalkBack, which is their speech output program mm-hmm. and they have zoom features but there are a lot more apps available mm-hmm. um through apple apple requires that all of their apps be accessible nice. There are many, many apps available through Apple. And if a family was considering... Or a school was considering an Apple versus a Galaxy or an Android device, I would sure. definitely go towards the Apple. Are the Apple stores helpful resources? Yes, they are. In fact, they have staff members who can help you learn how to use the accessibility features. Often, they'll have seminars mm-hmm. um, where they, you know, have open nights where they're teaching it. For free? In fact, for free. Wow. And uh, locally, one of the Apple stores here has a blind team member who shows people how to use the accessibility features and is there to help. That's awesome. Huh. And I have some students myself who could probably teach I was say, teach others how to use their the
0: accessibility features. I know you have one that has been a resource to us, and he probably could teach the class. Yes, and he yeah, could. He, he, he's, um, he's emailed us several times about when we get stumped. <laughs> and we do often get stumped.
1: Yes. And, you know, it's, it's not without its flaws. Right. I mean, you have to work through glitches when you're using the technology. And you just have to accept that they're going to happen, and you have to push through them and figure out how to problem solve so problem solving is a lot of what I teach.
0: Yes, I've heard that.
1: Mom, it's a glitch. Miss Kim
0: says it's a glitch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so what other technologies, for example, like books on tape, it seems like the voice on those sounds a lot better than they used to sound. It used to be that if we wanted a book on
1: tape, you were was really ordering a tape. <laughs> I, I shouldn't even
0: say book, book on a tape, four-track. should I? How old does that sound? Like
1: it, <laughs> it wasn't long ago that we were ordering books from the North Carolina Library for the Blind and Physically, physically Handicapped, and they would come, a big tape player <laughs> and a four-track tape, and the kids didn't even know what a tape was. And so I said, do you know what this is? <laughs> <laughs> I a tape recorder. And you know, then it would have four tracks on it. And it was so cumbersome. Kids did not want to use that because it is not cool. Oh, no. Not it's totally cool. not. It's not even cool to say books on tape. Like I really have dated myself. <laughs> so, but a lot of people are using audiobooks now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so popular. Uh, people are listening to them in the car. They're listening to them at home. And now we're using downloadable audiobooks. There's mm-hmm. Learning Ally and Bookshare, which is the one I use often. And so we can download textbooks and novels instantly in like five seconds. We can look for almost anything, even a book that was a new release. Like if it just came out yesterday, we can often get it. Textbooks are available. It takes a little um, technique to find the textbooks you're looking for. It may not be your own state's version of the textbook, but maybe another state has produced it and there just might be slight differences. But we can download almost anything and the student can listen and look like if they have it on their iPad, mm-hmm. for instance, they can adjust the colors and size of the font on the screen. Some children prefer yellow on blue or blue on yellow or white on black or, or, or the reverse. Depending on what their visual condition is, they can change the font size. And we always want to make the font as small as possible, but as legible as possible mm-hmm. so that we can fit the most amount of words on the screen at a time. The student hits play, and they can see the, the enlarged book right there on the screen and listen to it also. So it helps with fluency and comprehension. So that's been a, a real gift to be able to access those books. And that's why it's so important to teach these students how to you know, optimize their auditory skills. Right. Bookshare, I know you can
0: listen and read along. And what's the other one you said? You said it was Learning Ally. Learning Allies. Mm-hmm. And both of those links will be on our um, show notes for resources to go back and check those out. I know Bookshare's been a great help to
1: us. Right. And that's available for any student with a print disability. So for students um, K through 12 who have a learning disability or have a physical impairment that prevents them from being able to turn a page or a student with a visual oh, wow. impairment, yeah. they can access Bookshare for free. And then there's a downloadable app for the iPad called Read To Go with the number two. And it's twenty dollars, but it's so worth it to be able to have instant access to books because you know, a lot of our kids don't have many recreational activities that they participate in. So listening to books or podcasts even are just a great way for them to explore literature. To learn, be included expand what they can do, expand their world.
0: Mm. Kim, you've talked about what a TVS specialist does, what an orientation and mobility specialist does, but who qualifies for VS services? If you have a child who you think may have a visual impairment, how do they get to you? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. So sometimes a child comes in with a predetermined um, visual condition that the parents already know that the child has, you know, perhaps they were born with a visual condition and the parent has an eye report ready to go and okay. will probably have already been receiving services as a preschooler. Right. And if they're coming into public school, they'll have an IEP and we'll make sure that services are in place for somebody who's being newly identified. Sometimes that comes from a vision screening by the school nurse that's done annually. And if a student does not pass the vision screening, they'll be referred to to the parents to to take their child to an eye doctor. Right. And then we'll have a current eye medical report, which will give us the information we need to um, use to determine if their child is eligible for VI services. Because sometimes the child didn't pass the vision screening and they just need glasses and their vision is correctable. But for a child whose vision is not correctable to the point of our qualifying numbers, we would want to look at them to see if they have educational needs that are impacted by the vision loss. So the actual numbers for qualifying in our state, Mm -hmm. in North Carolina, are that the student would have a visual acuity of 20 over 70 or worse, in the better eye with correction. So I'll break that down of what that means. Mm -hmm. That means that once the child is corrected with glasses, Mm -hmm. that their visual acuity would be 20 over 70 or worse meaning that somebody with perfect vision, with 20-20 vision compared to somebody with 20 over 70 vision, like this is a fraction, that person with 20-20 vision would be able to identify, say, a street sign from 70 feet away. The person with 20 over 70 vision would have to be 20 feet from that same street sign to identify it. So that's kind of how I compare it. Mm -hmm. So essentially that child... Would have to have 2070 or worse acuity. So 2080, 2100, 2200, or even worse. Mm-hmm. But that child can be completely blind in one eye and have 20 over 50 vision in the other eye and not officially meet VI eligibility standards. Really? Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. That seems like the, the that's VI where, person would need to be involved. Right. And that's where we really need to look at the educational impact of right. the vision loss. Because it is individual, but there are standards for qualification. Um, So in addition to there being that acuity of 20, 70 or worse in the better eye, that's where it comes in that a child could be, you know, have one eye removed or enucleated. Um, Wow. The other consideration is if there's a visual field deficit. So if there's loss of peripheral vision, um, if that student has a limited visual field of 20 degrees or less, which is a pretty small visual field, Mm -hmm. they also would qualify. Students who have cortical visual impairment can qualify because those are students whose eyes are just really not functioning. And it's not necessarily that there's anything physically wrong with the eye, but it's that connection to the brain. Um, but a TVI can work with that student to help resolve the use of the vision.
0: For us, a proxy of speech. You can make all the sounds you need to make. The mouth works like it's supposed to work, but somewhere between the connection of the anatomy of the mouth working and the brain, the, getting the sounds out right. doesn't work.
1: So we do serve students with CVI. Mm-hmm. And also we would want to know if that child has a progressive eye condition.
0: Mm, if they yeah. have
1: an eye condition that doesn't qualify them now, but is likely to deteriorate and would qualify them in the future we may start looking at that student and if that student does not qualify in any other areas of need for special education they may just be on a 504 plan where they're getting accommodations and being monitored if that student is receiving other special education services we can qualify them for vi services even if they don't meet those eligibility standards if they have educational need. So we Mm -hmm. go and determine, you know, how vision is impacting that child. And so during that process of determining eligibility, we do two assessments. One is a functional vision assessment and one is a learning media assessment. Mm -hmm. So that's really looking at the child in a functional educational environment and determining what kinds of needs and impact their vision is having on them in the school environment. we we take into consideration lighting and color and size and contrast and visual fatigue is a major issue for some of our kids. You know, if they have Mm -hmm. an eye condition that such as nystagmus, which is involuntary movement of their eyes that can fatigue them very fast Mm -hmm. because they have to try to stabilize that movement and read. And maybe they can't sustain reading for more than a couple of paragraphs. So we look at issues like visual fatigue and then with the learning media assessment, we're determining what the most appropriate way for a student to read or to get that literary input and output for the educational content. So for some students, they may use regular print. For some students, they might use regular print with magnification, like a handheld magnifier or dome magnifier. Some students may need large print. Large print is 14 point or larger. And 14 point is not that large. No, That's what's considered large print. That is. Point? If you... Really? Go to the store, order a book in large print, it's 14 point. And that's really not large enough for most Uh of our students. You know, a lot of my students, maybe their visual threshold is 14 point, such as they can read down to that size, but can't sustain that. And maybe they're comfortable reading font, might be 36 point font. But we're always looking for the smallest font that's sustainable for the longest time. Mm -hmm. So in this learning media assessment, we might determine that the student is just not going to be an efficient visual reader. And that they may need to be a Braille student and learn how to read tactually. Mm. Uh, And then there's, you know, also auditory reading. Some students are just not visual or Braille readers. Or maybe auditory is their secondary mode of reading. Or, for instance, your daughter, she's trimodal. She (laughs) reads print. She reads Braille. She listens to audiobooks. And, you know, it really could be task-specific of what, A student needs to read how they would access it. And when. so that's part of the eligibility and, and assessment process of qualifying somebody for visual impairment services. A TVI, are they the only
0: ones that give the functional and the learning media assessment? Yes. That's yes, it.
1: and those are really valuable assessments, and they take a long time. Often, we'll see a student over th- two or three, maybe even four sessions, to mm-hmm. get all of the information we need for a functional vision assessment. Because even during that assessment process, they may fatigue and not be able to continue with the evaluation. Right. And we're seeing them over multiple environments. We may want to see them outside and how they're uh, how they're doing outside and their transition to inside from bright lights to you know indoor yeah. lighting. It's a pretty comprehensive assessment total, it may take us 10 to 12 hours to do. Because vision
0: to me is just changes. And so in one room, it could be one way. and another room, it could Mm -hmm. be another way. And then
1: times of the day change. So I could see how these would take a long time. Yes, they do. To be accurate. But they're really important because often we get information that the eye doctor doesn't get. Right. Because some of these kids, they go into an eye doctor's office and they shut down completely and don't want to perform in an unfamiliar place with an unfamiliar person in a white lab coat. Mm -mm. So... The doctors may get minimal information, especially from some of our nonverbal kids or, you know, low verbal kids. And as a TVI, once we establish rapport with these kids and can teach them, you know, how our evaluation and testing process works for helping to determine their acuity, I can work with a child and, and train them on acuity cards and figure out their speech for saying Apple or House or Umbrella So that I can understand what they're saying so that when I actually perform the test in a low stress environment that's familiar with familiar people around, that we can get more accurate information a lot of times than a doctor might get. That's one of my favorite things to do is to provide parents with meaningful information that they may never have had before.
0: Well, I can remember asking the eye doctor um, when Grace Garden was much younger because she was saying something about functional vision assessment, which at that time I really didn't know what it was. That How is that different than what you do? And she said, well, I am here to monitor the health of your daughter's eye. That's what I'm going to do. But she said, I'm not really looking to see how well she sees. And I said, you're not? <laughs> which was kind of new information for me. She goes, no, that's what the VI person does. I
1: said, oh, well, good to know. <laughs> it's good for us to work in concert with each other. I love to go to eye appointments with my families." Because I can give the doctor information, they can give me information, I can help advocate for the child and explain some things that we see in the school environment. Mm. So if it's a student that I've already been working in and they're going for you know their annual exam, I love being able to go. And also to provide that doctor with the functional vision assessment right. before the student goes so that they can look it over and see where the areas of need are. I think that's important because you've sent before information with me to take to the doctor that
0: specifically that you wanted from the doctor, which I think is so helpful because I've done that with parents also say like, look, I need to know this. And I've written out the list, said, hey, this is what I want. So sometimes if you just tell them, look, this is what I want. Or this is what you need to tell the doctor. It's helpful as a parent mm-hmm. to just say, somebody just tell me, give me direction because I don't know.
1: Right. What information do you need from the eye doctor then? it's just a report on the visual acuity for the child? Yes. I need a current eye medical report within <laughs> one year with visual acuity information. I really would like near vision acuities and distance vision acuities. Often mm. we are only getting distance vision, but mm-hmm. the, very vision. importantly, we need yeah. to know what the near vision acuities are, what the eye condition is, if it's progressive, uh, if there is a prescription and if there's any physical limitations, we want to know about that. If a student is at risk for, say, a retinal detachment, we want to know so that, yeah. you know, we're taking measures to protect that student throughout the, the day so that they're not in any contact sports or activities. We could talk about this for days. Like, literally, we could be on this for days. But so
0: I really want to talk about what else you've got going on. And then also, so upcoming projects and mm-hmm. what else you do. Yeah.
1: Well, we always have something going on. <laughs> uh, it's really my mission um, to reach all children who are visually impaired throughout the state. I want no child with a visual impairment to go unserved or underserved. So it's my um, mission and objective to meet those needs by bringing new professionals into the state. Mm. There's not enough TVIs or mobility specialists here in North Carolina to provide the services that are needed. Um, But also, there's just not enough VI professionals in general. So I love to encourage People to go into the field. We offer VI career interest meetings. We do webinars and in-person interest meetings. How do people find out about that? Uh, They will go (laughs) to the website, Mm www.equaleyesvisionservices.com, and it will be posted under Register for Professional Development. So I want people to know that this field exists. Very few people even know that it's out there. So we talk about it. And anybody who shows any capacity for this type of work, I always tell them about it. Do you know that you can go to school for free and have, have a remarkable career where you can really give back? And working one-on-one with students is appealing to a lot of special educators. Yes. Uh, I offer job shadowing to people who are really interested so that they can come see what I do. And I have recently had two young ladies fall in love with the career and they're going to school for free to get their master's degree in this. And the whole free thing. I know that's a major big deal. Yes. Free education. Free. <laughs> that's, yep. Yeah. And so one day they will be equalized team members, but we're working to improve the quality of VI services all over the state. So the VI teachers, who are here in North Carolina? We've been providing professional development trainings for them. Coming up in September, we have our first annual Equalized Visionary Day, which is a full day training, and TVIs and mobility specialists are invited to attend. And I just want to equip the teachers who are here in our state wow. to provide better services because there's not a lot of support out there. You know, often we describe our jobs as feeling like we're on an island because we may be the only TVI within a 100 mile radius. And, you know, if you don't have other professionals to collaborate with who can validate what you're doing or help you grow in your practice, it's really hard to know if you're on the right track. I think networking is so important and seeing other people do what you do. You know, we want to come alongside of teachers who are here already in our state and just grow our state's VI professionals. Kim just gave us a website. So
0: check that out there. And then also um, there'll be a link from the PDT one and from the workingtherapist.com. And in the show notes will be the Equalize website as well as I iShine Foundation website when it's up and rocking and rolling, mm-hmm. doing its thing. <laughs> so we'll put them all up there. You can and find many down. of them on our website. Yeah. And then also I know that there's a lot
1: of camps too. Like I know you're doing a camp in Asheville soon. Oh, yes. I'm leaving on Sunday to go to Adventure Camp for 12 blind high school students all of them are cane users and braille users they may not all have you know absolutely no vision but um, 12 blind students and eight adults two of them are blind and two guide dogs and we're going we're going zip lining and tower climbing and whitewater rafting that's awesome. And hiking. <laughs> so it will be quite an adventure. I'm not That's sure cool. what we do with the guide dogs while we're out there. I don't know I'm if saying. they wear little harnesses and helmets. Do they? and know. That would be so cute. <laughs> so cool. I like their little kayaks with a little helmet on the little life preserver on the dog. I don't know. They certainly don't... Um Zip line though, do they? I'm not uh, sure what oh, they're no. doing because we're we're camping. I mean, we're staying in these cabins in oh. the Nantahala Outdoor Center, and oh, cool. they, the dogs can't be left behind. No, the dogs can't be left behind, so they must come with us. So I'm just not sure where the dogs are going to be while we're whitewater rafting. Put them in a backpack. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I
0: have no idea. I don't know. know.
1: Dag, that's
0: that'll be cool. I, all right, that's another podcast. We'll find out how how that went. Yep. And the
1: iShine Foundation, our right. goal is to have a summer camp next year in 2017. Oh, Hot dog. Lots on the horizon. Lots on the horizon. So yay, Kim. Thank yay. you so much. This has been awesome. <laughs> I
0: appreciate your time and information. You're a wealth of info. Mm. And thanks, everybody else, for listening. And I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.